ends, I won't give it away, but at the end of the first season, there's kind of a twist that makes you kind of look back to the rest of the season and, and see things in a new way. Um, and those are kind of our, our favorite stories, right? They're great movies and books and TV shows where there is a twist at the end that makes you kind of rethink everything. Um, and oftentimes you want to go back and see all the clues that kind of you were surprised with the story at the end. So The Sixth Sense, um, if you've ever seen that movie, it's a classic kind of example of this. Um, very few people saw the twist that came at the end. And I think a lot of people went back and watched it over again, trying to see those clues to see what they missed. So we're coming to the end of the Gospel of John, where we find Jesus' closest followers, they're kind of experiencing a similar phenomenon, where um, they're kind of surprised by what has happened when Jesus um, has died and he's buried, and um, everything that they've taught, been taught their whole lives uh, about a coming Messiah who would come and liberate the Jewish people, all of that, they're... Um, thinking about it differently. You know, they learned about a king who would come with power and strength and who would over, overthrow the, the political power of the Romans. And, and they hoped that they would be returned to the power and strength of the, the Jewish um, nation of Israel back to its former glory um, under King David many years ago. And so they thought that's what was going to happen when Jesus came and, you know, began speaking with power and then he dies. He dies this shameful death on the cross. And I think that we see, you know, for John, afterwards, he can look back and he can see Jesus' words and he can see them all in a new light and, and how they make sense to him. But in this moment, in this time where Jesus has died, I imagine that for many of them, um, they never imagined that this could happen, right? That Jesus that he would die a criminal's death. They never expected that. And so I, I think it threw everything into doubt. Who this man Jesus was, their understanding of the prophets and their teaching throughout their childhood. And so they find themselves in a bit of a faith crisis. And it isn't very different than many of us have found ourselves in at times. You know, having crises of faith when things come that are unexpected. Maybe it's an unexpected terminal diagnosis or even just a really difficult diagnosis. Maybe it's an unexpected death of a loved one or even I've had close friends who've um, lost a child. And that's a pain that just throws your whole faith into a, a new place. Or maybe it's just even a personal financial collapse, something that you didn't expect that would happen. It seems very unfair. Um, and so all those things that you once believed about God and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, sometimes it breaks down in these moments. You know, the Bible stories and the verses that once made sense to you, they just don't bring the comfort that they used to. And I've seen other people, it isn't even just maybe their own experiences, but just the moral failing of somebody that they really expected, whether it's a church leader or a parent. And it, you know, it makes you ask, if I can't trust this person, who can I trust? And so this morning we want to talk about what happens to our faith when everything we thought we knew with certainty is thrown into doubt. And that's where we find Jesus' followers in this moment at the end of the book of John. What do they believe now? 
now that Jesus has died and been buried. And so we're going to read together in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible app, you want to follow along, we're going to read through most of John 20. So we're going to begin in verse 11. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around, and she cried out in Aramaic, Teacher. And Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Shalom, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. What we see here is Jesus is seeking to reestablish his followers' faith, faith, their faith in him. And he doesn't do it with shaming them that, like, why are you guys mourning? Didn't you know? You know, shaming them for being, um, feeling sorrow and dismay. And he doesn't uh, kind of reestablish their faith by giving them like a theological instruction about, you know, all the things that are happening with his death. Instead, he reestablishes their faith by just his presence, by just him kind of showing up in their life. And in his presence, he declares that message, shalom, peace be with you. We say uh, shalom is this greeting that it means peace, but it means so much more than that. It's the idea of that you have um, complete peace with your relationships, with one another, peace with your relationship with God and with creation. That is what he says to you. May you have shalom. But there's one who isn't there when Jesus appears to them as they're gathered together that first day. This is Sunday. They're gathered together as they would have after they've lost somebody. It was customary for a week for they to stay together and to mourn together for a whole week. And so we see they're together in Jerusalem, and they're gathered together, and Jesus shows up. But somebody isn't there. Thomas isn't there for some reason. He's left out of that experience of seeing Jesus. And so he has a different kind of journey um, that we see in John chapter 20. So I'm going to continue to read in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
And though the doors were locked, Jesus came in again and stood among them and said, Shalom. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So maybe you have heard this story before, and I think, unfortunately, just because of this incident, um, Thomas has just kind of commonly become known as Doubting Thomas, right? For all of um, Christianity, he's just Doubting Thomas. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but it's usually not used as a compliment. Um, It's kind of like, don't be a Doubting Thomas. You know, you don't want to be like Thomas. Don't doubt, right? Um, He's kind of gotten a bad rap. And I think it's a little bit unfair because everybody else got this experience that he wanted, right? He wasn't there. Jesus shows up and shows his wounds, and they get to see it. And, and Thomas is like, I want that same experience before I let myself really um, trust again in Jesus. And I imagine he was not the only one who struggled with un- believing in Jesus' resurrection, And I think that this story oftentimes um, has kind of been used to discourage people from being honest about their own doubts and questions when it comes to our belief in Jesus. And if we are honest, um, we are all in that position that Jesus talked about, where we can't see with our own eyes the risen Jesus. We can't see his wounds. We can't talk to him and be reassured by his presence right in front of us. And so we're all in that situation where we're struggling to believe like Thomas. And what I mean by believe is we all struggle to really like know with our minds, with certainty. When we think about it intellectually about Jesus, it's a struggle for us to believe who he is and who the gospel writers claim who he is and what he did and what that means for all humanity. That can be a struggle for us. And the truth is, is when we think of the word believe or belief, it's usually related to how we think about things, right? Our minds. If we think correctly with certainty about our thoughts about Jesus. If you just think about um, how we use that word belief when we talk about our faith, we say things like, um, what do you believe in? Here's what I believe. I don't know what you believe, but this is what I believe. Or... uh, I believe something different than you, or what does your church believe? I don't know if I believe that, right? The belief is like this thinking word, a word that describes how we use, how we think about something in our mind. But what's interesting is that that isn't how the word belief is used in Scripture, throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just an example of this is that Hebrew word, amen, um, that we use oftentimes when we end Uh, with prayer or sometimes when somebody's speaking in church and you really agree with them and so you say amen that word is translated as believe in the old testament but it is more than just thinking that you agree with it it's the idea of trust that you you pray something and then you end it with amen i trust this will happen i trust in you god and that's where uh, that, come, that phrase comes from. And we see also those words um, used in the New 
New Testament the same way. Peter Enns wrote a book called The Sin of Certainty. Um, And in that book, he says that believing is a who word. All right? When we see the idea of belief in the Bible, the focus isn't on what to believe, but who. It isn't the content of what you think, but the trust you have in a person. And so when we see this word belief or believe in scripture, and if you read through John, I read through it and I was struck with how many times that word is in the book of John. And you replace the word belief instead with the word trust, you kind of see, you get a little closer to what scripture is really getting at that word belief. And so I want us to just give that a try with that short interaction that Jesus has with Thomas. So in verse 27 again, Jesus says to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and trust. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have trusted me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have trusted. You see, trust moves us from just our head and our intellect to our whole self, which really helps us to understand what's truly meant by the word faith that's used in the New Testament. Faith is about trusting in the who and acting on that trust. And so that's why we see uh, a Greek word that is oftentimes translated as belief can also be translated as the word faith, that there's something that goes hand in hand between faith and belief, but a belief that is trusting with action. It's not a word about thinking, it's a word about acting. Dallas Willard is an author who has written a lot about different theological topics, and he says this, he says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe it, that we believe it. He says, we believe something when we act as if it were true. Let me read that again. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe it, that we actually do believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. And when we look through the New Testament writers, look through Paul and John and Peter and James, they all kind of give ideas of what it looks like to act out our faith. And it's usually in terms of our faithfulness to how we treat others around us. That we treat others the way we see Jesus treated people when we read through the book of John. He treated people with humility and sacrificial love. The story last week is a great example of this, Jesus washing the feet of his followers. And that is what faith looks like in our lives. It's not just with our heads. It's with our lives and how we treat one another. And so what we see in the story of Thomas is just one part of one man's journey to trust in Jesus as his Lord and God. And here at Everyday Church, we try to use um, the language of journey when we're talking about our faith because we think it's really important because we all have a different story, right? We have different experiences with our faith in Jesus. It's not something that looks the same. Our faith journey doesn't look the same for everyone. 
And it's important that we all know that we're all on a journey here. And for some people, I would even say most people, there is a part of your faith journey that includes times of doubt and struggles to believe and trust in Jesus, like we see in Thomas. And so if that is kind of part of your own journey, or you're even feeling kind of stuck in a season where you're struggling with doubt, or maybe you would even say it's a bit of a, a crisis of faith, I want you to know that you are not going to be shamed for that because many of us have similar seasons in our own journeys. And instead of shame or fear, what I believe what we all really need in these times um, is spaces where we are just reassured of Jesus' presence, even in those moments. Because I, I believe even in the times when we don't really understand how all of the Bible works or we don't really can't say that we have certainty about all of this stuff, I still think we can meet Jesus in those places, in those spaces and times. We can still see Jesus and read about him in John and see the way he lived his life, how he loved people, how he served and included people, and how merciful he was, and feel and see something in Jesus that we want to trust in. We don't have to have it all figured out in our minds in order to choose to trust and live our life trying to live like Jesus, loving others with humility and sacrifice. And over the years, I've had so many close friends um, kind of share their own faith struggles. Even before we pastored this church, um, it was just a very common experience for me to have friends just kind of share the struggles in their life um, with their faith. And some of it was um, people that had been raised in the church for years, and then they got to a point where they were like, I'm struggling with all these traditional interpretations of the Bible, whether it was, you know, um, the literal translation or creation of the world in Genesis, and they, they struggled with that when they started um, going to college or high school, or um, struggled with wars and genocides that we see in the Old Testament. And that's hard to kind of you know, understand how that works with a loving God. And so they hit a point where they really struggled to, um, to trust in God, even when uh, they, they don't quite understand how the Bible all works. And then for other people, the crisis of faith kind of comes more when they just have hurt in their life, personal pain, that they kind of expected didn't, wouldn't happen to them because of their faith in God, right? That their faith in God would save them from experiencing that pain. And then when they experienced the pain in their own life, then they struggled to really understand um, how it could happen and had a bit of a faith crisis. And so I sat over the years and heard these stories over and over again, um, listened to the pain, and honestly, I've struggled with many of these um, same struggles myself, uh, different ones. And uh, in those times, I've often felt ashamed, like I couldn't share, like um, it made me a, a bad Christian. Or, um, and, and I felt like I had to kind of uh, hide that. I was afraid to share my struggles with others. But I will be honest, in all of those times, I have never felt like Jesus didn't meet me in those places. I never felt like Jesus left me. 
And um, I'm reminded of this story. I, I find great comfort in the story of Jacob. It's a weird story in the Old Testament, the story of Jacob where he, um, he finds himself like wrestling with this stranger, which is a weird thing, right? He meets <laughs> this stranger, and they, they just wrestle all night long. Like nobody wins, and they're wrestling. And um, then at the end of the story, you realize it, it's God. And after that, he renames Jacob Israel. And Israel is this super important name for the Jewish people and really um, all of us who believe in God. And, and yet that name means struggles with God. And if you look through the story, all the stories in Scripture, that happens to so many characters, not just Jacob, not just Thomas, but really so many of the people that we um, look to and want to emulate, they struggled with God. They struggled with their faith. That's kind of the story. And so it brings me great comfort to know that it isn't just me, right? We see this in Scripture, and we see it in Thomas, and we see how Jesus meets Thomas where he is in his doubt. He shows up. He greets him with the blessing of shalom. And he even provides him with that experience that Thomas is looking for in order for him to really feel like he can trust again. I've read a lot of books over the years of people who've been raised in church and um, they believed, I have a similar story, where they believed everything they were taught, and then at some point as an adult, they hit a spot where things start to change, and they start to have questions, and they felt like that maybe they didn't belong in church anymore, and so they've, they've written their stories kind of about their journey and the pain of that um, feeling like they lost their belonging, but it, what's interesting in all of these different stories, um, different ages, people coming from different backgrounds, they talk about a similar thing, and that is even in those painful times where they didn't feel maybe like they were connected to the church, they still couldn't get away from Jesus, the person of Jesus. He was there with them in a powerful way. Um, Rachel Held Evans wrote a book called Inspired, and in it she said, I'm a Christian because of the, sto the story of Jesus is still the story I'm willing to risk being wrong about. And I, I can relate to that. And she talks about how her own journey, like she really struggled um, with that headspace, like trying to understand it all with her mind. And yet uh, people kept telling her, just believe, just believe. And she was like, I can't make myself just believe. But what she has found that worked for her was doing the things, the, the long things that long practiced um, spiritual practices that people of faith have done over the years, of finding a faith community to share life with, of showing up on Sunday and taking and sharing communion together with those people, of doing acts of mercy and justice, of praying for healing for one another, and noticing uh, what's wrong outside and being um, prayerful about that. And what she said is, when I acted like I believed, what came was I did believe. Those practices are what helped her keep her faith. And that is my experience as well. It's in these practices that I continue to meet Jesus over and over again. Thomas struggled to believe. 
the events of, of Jesus' death, they didn't make sense to him. They didn't fit with all of his expectations, his training, um, and his experience. And I think that Jesus got that. He met him there. And we see Jesus with Thomas, and he's showing him mercy and tenderness. And I think that's the same mercy and tenderness that he extends to each of us on our journeys. I like what the author and pastor Greg Boyd um, wrote. He said that the earliest disciples, they didn't believe in Jesus because their scripture, the Old Testament, proved to them that he was the son of God. They were rather convinced by Jesus' claims, his unique life of love, his distinctive authority, his unprecedented miracles, his self-sacrificial death, and especially his resurrection. And once they believed in Jesus, then they were able to look back and they found him all over in the Old Testament. So right now, um, I want to give us a time because I know that we all can struggle and um, we need the person of Jesus to show up in our lives and be there and speaking that blessing of shalom over us. And so I want to um, spend a little time in contemplation this morning um, knowing that trusting in God is not easy, right? Especially in those painful times in our circumstances. It can be excruciating to trust God sometimes. Um, but I find comfort that I am not alone in that, right? There's stories in scripture of that. And also when you just read through Christian history, um, over the generations, people struggled with their faith. You know, if I read C.S. Lewis, he, great mind, um, he debated the existence of God, and yet he still is very honest in his own pain and how he struggles. Uh, Mother Teresa, you know, this great woman of faith who acted out and took care of the most um, marginalized people really um, in this world, and yet when you see her own letters, she talks about her struggle to believe. And another person is a contemplative writer named Thomas Merton, and he has written this kind of beautiful, uh, very vulnerable prayer about this space that sometimes we find ourselves in when we're struggling with doubt. And so I want to give the prayer to you. Um, we have a sheet, and I'm just going to give you some time to read through it, meditate on it, see what words and phrases stand out to you. Is there anything you relate to in what he's saying? And maybe I hope that you find some comfort in his words as well. And I pray that Jesus would meet you in this time. So I'm going to give you some time and then we'll end in prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. 
And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. And therefore, will I trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Let's pray. Lord, I think we all fear being left alone um, without direction, without love. And I just thank you for the reminder that, um, that you don't leave us, even when we struggle with doubt or confusion struggle to believe that you don't leave us in that place, that you come alongside of us, blessing us with peace. And so right now, I pray for those who um, are in that space where they are struggling with doubts or confusion. Maybe they even feel distant from you, Lord. I pray that you would show up in a powerful way in, in their lives, Lord. I pray for those of us who um, aren't in that place, that, Lord, we would be merciful for others, that we wouldn't be um, a place of judgment, but we would be a place of grace and helping to journey alongside, that our own faith would um, help to kind of lift up others' faith as they struggle, Lord, knowing that our own faith might need that help. Lord, I, I pray that um, even in the times when we struggle to believe and to understand everything, Lord, that we would put our trust in you with our actions, that we would be a people who want to be like you, who want to be humble and to try to love people in the, sacrifice, the sacrificial way that you do, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to become more and more like you. We thank you for um, your presence with us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>